welcome all. I greet all of those of you that are in front of your iPods and uh, your uh, computers, cell phones. You can hear us. You can worship with us. We are here to remind you of what this week is all about. I'm Pastor Dan. For those in the viewing audience that do not know me, this is New York Chapel and it's live streaming. Today is Palm Sunday and there's much, much for us to review. This morning I could focus on the Lord's entry into Jerusalem or the activities of that week such as the Last Supper, Final Supper with the Disciples. That ended the Old Testament Passover meal for the New Covenant. But I won't. Even the immediate events of and ending with this crucifixion, I'll leave that for our Good Friday service. That's this Friday, 7 p.m. No, this morning, I want to focus on some characters that surrounded the major events of the week. And the lead character is Caiaphas. And therefore, my sermon is entitled, Caiaphas, Friends, and Jesus. My text is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 63. Pray with me, Psalm 1914. So, dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. You know, God's word explains why some of those closest to Jesus as Christ, cross, missed the blessing. The lives of Herod, Pilate, and Caiaphas speaks to us. Their lives shout, don't miss the blessings of the cross. And let's heed the warning this morning. Twice each year, we celebrate the seasons of Christ's life on earth. First his birth, and then his death. That opens and closes the record that God has given us on the life of Christ. You know that God inspired for us 260 chapters in the New Testament. 89 of them are the four Gospels. Within the Gospels, that is the record of the life of Christ, we find that the Lord placed 30 chapters that are devoted to the Passion Week of Christ. That is, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And yet only four chapters were devoted to the birth of Christ. So we remember Christ's life. We remember his ministry. We remember his birth and we remember his death. The cradle and the cross. Christ's cross signals that the battle is won. His first coming was complete, and the countdown has began began for his second coming and triumph to rule the earth. And our first coming of Christ was to a manger, surrounded by donkeys, sheep, cattle, and goats. At the end of this brief life on earth, he chooses a donkey's colt to carry him into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as he presented himself as the Lamb of God to die for the sin of the world. But the second coming of Christ will be on a horse, a pure white stallion thundering through the clouds of heaven with the armies of God following him. 
On his head will be many crowns, for he will come back to earth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Christ's first coming concluded as he was arrested by Caiaphas, brought before Pilate, dragged before Herod, tortured, spit upon, and forced to wear a scarlet robe of mockery. But Christ's second coming will see Caiaphas trembling at his feet, Pilate wringing his hands as he was brought before him, and Herod will be dragged before him, and all three will bow before the king of the Jews and confess that he is Lord and the king of all kings to the glory of God the Father. Christ's first coming ended alone. As the Lamb of God was bound, beaten, and nailed to a bitter, rugged cross, where he suffered and bled and died alone. He was hurriedly transferred to a borrowed tomb and sealed in. The next time he comes, he will not be alone. Rather, he comes leading countless of hosts of heaven and the saints of all of the ages. His unbound feet will touch down upon the Mount of Olives and split it in half. And those crucified and glorified feet will walk through the eastern gate as he sets up his throne up on the temple mound. From there, he shall reign for a thousand years in the millennium. Following that will be the great white throne judgment after which human time shall cease and eternity will begin. How different and yet connected are Christ's first and second comings. Both have profound lessons to all who will pause and reflect upon the lives God has chosen to stretch across the canvas of his word and to mark as warnings and examples to all who will have ears to hear. What is most amazing about both events is that God chooses to give us deeper insights into the people surrounding those events than about any other events in Scripture. In both events, there are stirring contrasts between those who saw Jesus with love and faith and those who did not. There were three notable individuals who were closest to Christ in his final hours and yet who completely missed the benefits of his death, burial, and resurrection. These three are well known to us from God's word. They are Pilate, Herod, and Caiaphas. And as we open to Matthew 26 this morning, let me survey lives that lost everything. God left them as a warning to us. And that is how to lose everything. Pilate missed it all by default. He was neglectful, disinterested, detached, indifferent, and passive. The second, Herod Antipas, murder of John the Baptist, son of Herod, the murder of babies, a puppet king who was unqualified to rule God's people, was part of a long line of Christ-haters and rejectors. And finally, Caiaphas, the man who stood in the very place of God. As the high priest, he represented the entire nation at Passover. He missed everything because of an act of defiant, aggressive, aggressive animosity toward Christ. This morning, there is a warning to all of us. From Pilate, we see passive unbelief. 
We don't have to be opposed to Christ. We can be somewhat interested, strangely fascinated, and even curious, and still fail to experience Him by faith. From Herod, we can see that long-term exposure to Christ and His servants can lead to spiritual blindness if that exposure is unmixed with faith. No family ever had more opportunities to know God than Herod's. No family ever had such an all-star cast of God's servants. Among those who ministered the word of God to the Herod family were the Magi, John the Baptist, Christ himself, Paul, Peter, James, and so on. And no family more fully rejected the truth than this family. From Caiaphas, we see the horrors of the fallen sinful heart that we were all born with. Our hearts at birth are deceitful and wicked, and if left untouched by God, become so hard that even God himself, standing before our eyes, does not move us. Beware of, of sin's deadening power. Beware of pride's intoxicating poison. Beware of over-familiarity with God. Only a heart empowered by the Spirit can see its own sinfulness, long for cleansing, and offer obedience. And sadly, those so close to Christ's cross were so far from God's love, not because it wasn't offered, but because they cared not, sought not, loved not, saw not, and had not. Don't let this week pass you by. Stop and let the wonder of Christ's love sweep over you. See his innocence and your guilt, his perfections and your sin, his worthiness and your complete unworthiness. Don't be passively rejecting him by indifference like Pilate. Don't be actively rejecting him by self-righteousness like Caiaphas. Caiaphas trusted the system. Pilate trusted himself. Caiaphas rejected the only truth that he knew was the truth. Now our text this morning, Matthew 26, 63 states, But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, when Jesus remained silent, he was fulfilling Isaiah 53, 7, which states, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. At some time in the future, our lives will end and be over then the record will be complete as to just what we lived for. This morning, look with me at all that is left on earth of the most vivid character surrounding Christ's death and burial, Caiaphas. First consider the mute witness of the ossuary of Caiaphas. Whether or not the place identified as the house of Caiaphas in Jerusalem is the actual site. We now have discovered the actual remains of the high priest in his ossuary within his family tomb. The find occurred by accident 
in November of 1990, when workers were building a water park in Jerusalem's Peace Forest, which is south of the Temple Mount. The discovery was made when the roof of the burial chamber collapsed and revealed 12 limestone ossuaries. One of the ossuaries was exquisitely ornate and decorated. Obviously, it belonged to a wealthy, high-ranking patron who could afford such a box. On this box was the inscription. It read in two places: Caiaphas and Joseph, son of Caiaphas. The New Testament refers to him only as Caiaphas. Josephus, the historian, gives his full name as. Joseph, who was called Caiaphas of the High Priesthood, inside this box were the bones of six different people, including a 60-year-old man, most likely Caiaphas. Of all the objects unearthed in the Holy Land, this one strikes a very sobering chord for me. This box. Found in 1990, still holds the earthly frame of Caiaphas, the man who condemned Jesus to death. Can you imagine what he has been thinking for the past 2,000 years? He is right now, most likely in Hades, in the fire, burning hot, endlessly dying of thirst, dreading the moment he knows that he will have to face Jesus again. What a sobering thought! What is each of us leaving behind as a message from our lives? We must leave everything behind, right? What did we do with what we had? We can leave a message either for Jesus or against him. Look at a man who left a message against Jesus. His name, Caiaphas. His message, the man who lost. Everything. Imagine being the CEO working at God's temple in Jerusalem when Jesus came to Earth. I can think of no greater honor. The man most acquainted with the ceremonies, the laws, the sacrifices, and the word was Caiaphas. He spoke God's word. He served God's plan, and he fulfilled scriptures. And yet, he lost everything. Here's why. These are the sobering lessons of his life. First, Caiaphas never listened to Jesus. He only heard what he wanted to hear. Luke nineteen forty-seven to forty-eight states that he, meaning Jesus, and he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him, and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to him. And then John seven forty six to forty seven states the officers answered no man ever spoke like this man, and then the Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? Secondly, Caiaphas never denied the supernatural work of Jesus; he only disbelieved that he was God's son. You know, they never denied his godly perfection. One of the most remarkable statements that Christ ever made was when He said in John eight forty six, "Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me?" What is stunning is not the fact that no one answered Christ's question. What is stunning 
is that Jesus would even ask such a thing after just calling them all children of the devil. If anyone could have ever been motivated to find a fault, it was that crowd. And yet, they couldn't find a single fault, slip, or sin in Christ's perfect life. Neither the antagonistic religious leaders, nor even his own disciples, that Jesus had spent every moment with for three plus years. No one ever accused Jesus of a single personal sin. Also, they never denied his miracles. After Christ's final and greatest miracle, the raising of Lazarus, the only wanted to silence him, not reveal him. In John 11:47, it states, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. Thirdly, Caiaphas never sought out Jesus. Jesus points to empty hearts and he condemns this total lack of seeking the true and living God in human flesh before their eyes. And fourth, Caiaphas never found life through Christ and so he lost everything. In John 5, 24, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. And then John 5, 39, 40, Jesus said, You searched the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Again, our text, Matthew 26, 63 states, But Jesus kept silent. Listen, there is a point when God's grace ends. It is when he no longer will strive for you. Genesis 6.3 It may have been that moment for Caiaphas when Jesus would not answer him. In all the events that surrounded these next few hours up to the cross, Isaiah 53.8 is also being fulfilled. It speaks of Jesus. It states, He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Isaiah's question is, will anyone stand up and declare who this man truly is? Several times, Jesus is affirmed to be who he said he was. Just in this last week in the life of Jesus, seven affirmations are given to us in the Gospels. First, Judas declared in Matthew 27, 4, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Second, Pilate declares in John 18, 38, I find no fault at all. Third of Herod, Pilate said in Luke 23, 15, No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Fourth, Pilate's wife entreated in Matthew 27, 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today 
in a dream because of him. Fifth, the dying thief affirmed in Luke 23, 41, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Sixth, the Roman centurion who glorified God said in Luke 23, 47, certainly this was a righteous man. And seventh, those who stood with the centurion acknowledged in Matthew 27, 54. And so with the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquakes and the things that had happened, they feared greatly and said, truly this was the Son of God. You know, as previously indicated, one of the most prominent figures in all the gospel accounts that describes Jesus' final week of conflict in the holy city is the high priest, Caiaphas. Caiaphas spoke God's word and prophesied truth. Caiaphas, who served as the leader of the Sanhedrin from AD 18 to 36, is known in the gospel accounts as the one who prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Consider John 11, 49 to 53, which states, And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this, he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Pause and think about that. Caiaphas spoke God's word and prophesied truth. Caiaphas unwittingly served God as an instrument in God's hands and actually was used to fulfill scriptures. He was the one that God used to bring about the crucifixion. And as the man who actually set in motion the plan to kill him, and then he presided over the late night trial at which Jesus confessed himself to be the Messiah and then subsequently was condemned. Again, pause and think about this. Caiaphas actually served God as an instrument in God's hands and actually was used to fulfill many scriptures. Consider Matthew 25.30, which states, And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, Caiaphas, one unprofitable servant. Ask yourselves this morning, am I among those proclaiming Christ? Or am I a Caiaphas that is upon a tool for the proclamation? Amen. Service is over. We should all look forward to this Friday, 7 o'clock. Tune in. You know, in these difficult times, pray, keep safe, trust in Jesus, trust in his word. Wasn't it by his word alone that he calmed the wind and the seas? Surely he has this coronavirus in his hands. So let us look forward in the hope that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit grant us, for we serve the one true God. Amen.
hopefully you'll see me for Amen.